false news reports are 70% more likely to be retweeted than factually accurate reports, and they reach recipients six times faster. Hello, everyone. Welcome to IWF Game Changers, a monthly conversation with some of the trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum. I'm Ann Doyle, a member of the IWF Global Board and your host. So let's talk about life in leadership. Our topic today is the exploding power of social media. We have witnessed how it can be an unprecedented source for good, giving voice to the previously voiceless, as with the Arab Spring and other grassroots movements. But there is also the dark side of social media. As an unsupervised source of disinformation, which research shows is six times more likely to go viral than facts, our guest today has both a front row seat and a leadership role in how we respond to the complex issues that social media is raising in our society and how we have individual responsibility to make decisions about it. IWF Southern California member Willow Bay, in her core, is a journalist. She had a very successful and long career as an American television news and sports broadcaster, working for multiple national networks, as well as the Huffington Post, CNN, and Bloomberg Television. She then turned to the academic world, where she has risen to become the dean of the University of Southern California's Annenberg School for Communications and Journalism. Welcome, IWF member Willow Bay. Anne, what a lovely introduction. I'm thrilled to be joining you. Interesting that you made this decision and joined this world at the time of dramatic change in the whole world of journalism and communications. Yeah, I think that's what made it exciting, right? It was a real opportunity to bring the expertise that I had seen firsthand, you know, in the field and particularly at HuffPost where everybody was so young. I mean, I had Annenberg, recent Annenberg grads on my team um, as I <laughs> Columbia grads and, you know, from, from across the Northwestern, um, the great journalism schools, leading and managing a young population. It was not such a big leap to think about educating next generation of journalists and communicators. And that brings us to this whole topic of social media and um, its incredible power, obviously, both for good and there's this dark side, too. So uh, what are your thoughts about this? How concerned are you about particularly its power to spread misinformation virally? Yeah, very, very concerned about the spread of misinformation and disinformation. And, you know, interesting as you kick off um, a global conference, thinking about how misinformation and disinformation first came to our attention, and it really was at the hands of state actors, right? State actors operating with malintent. Um, actually, one of our faculty was on the team at Indiana University that first detected bots in the 2016 election spreading mis and disinformation. Mm. Um, 
Emilio Ferrara is, is his name, and he, he developed something called the botometer, right? To be able to detect bots in your Twitter feed and be able to manage or, or eliminate them. What we know now is this has moved well beyond the realm of state actors. It's really become mainstream, if you will. The spread of mis and disinformation has become democratized and humanized, right? People are doing it in addition to the work being amplified by, by bots. And then you have a technology that algorithmically amplifies the spread. I mean, you quoted the fact the the stat that I, you know, like to quote is false news reports are 70% more likely to be retweeted than factually accurate reports, and they reach recipients six times faster. The only why the effect is algorithmically amplified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what we don't know, which we're, what we're less clear on is the persuasive effect, right? So there are plenty of researchers studying just how persuasive these are, but we know the reports spread. We also know that they are disinformation and misinformation is in fact spread across the ideological spectrum. It tends to land at extremes and it tends to land in a three to one ratio, right? The, the three being the more conservative end of the spectrum, the one being the more liberal end of the spectrum. So it does mm. tend to be polarized um, in terms yeah. of the point. It is, right, it, it, it crosses party lines, although oh, yeah. not, not proportionally. That brings us to what do we do about it? Yeah, exactly. Well, I've become a bit uh, urged on by my researchers in large part. I've, I've become a real evangelist for being prepared for a misinformation or, or disinformation attack. Look, we know how much is at stake, right? Our own personal reputations, um, reputation right. brand, the trust of customers, employees, patients. Um, now in the field of medical, you know, in the medical field, sure. and misinformation is so alarming. And of course, financial risk. Like one of these attacks can be devastating. We know people are who are founders, right? Founders and CEOs, people are fr- who are front and center and who are oftentimes maybe um, advancing issues or opinions that are co- somewhat controversial or take on a hot button topic, all more vulnerable and women and people of color are more vulnerable. Much harder for women and people of color to achieve a fantastic reputation and once right. it gets damaged, bam, it hurt, cuts deeper. Much, much, much easier, sadly, for women and people of color to have their reputations damaged, right? So all the more reason to to be prepared. And look, there are things that we can do personally and with our businesses to really be prepared for an attack. So let's talk about that. I mean, uh, are there some practical tips, advice that you can share with our listeners about uh, what we can do to protect ourselves, to protect our organizations, or to recognize misinformation and, and, and do something about it when we yep. see it? Yes, there sure are. And I think the very first thing is to have conversations like this, right? So make sure that your awareness is raised. You should always be assessing your risks. And again, particularly when you take on a position on something that you know is going to be a lightning rod or controversial, Mm -hmm. let's go into that mindful and prepared to take the incoming. For businesses, but I would say for individuals that have 
that have public profiles. Monitor your social media channels. If you're not going to do it, have a chief worrier in your company to do that. There are plenty also of third-party sentiment analysis and monitoring sites. And identify the folks in your orbit, the influencers in your orbit, who are likely to spread disinformation. Understand who they are and understand where they are. Then there are things that you can do to fortify your brand, right? Build authentic interactions and relationships with your customers. We all do this instinctively and we're good at it, but do the same thing with your partners, your business partners and your suppliers. Create and maintain allies with your influencers, people with influence and people with reach. They can come to your defense. It's really important to think about building this community of advocates well before you ever have to contend with an issue. And be ready to jump in quickly. Just mm-hmm. it really hurts many companies. I also see this in myself. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm reluctant to jump into the fray, but you just can't wait when you see one of one of these attacks coming your way. It sounds like the new version of crisis communications. I spent a big part of my career at Ford Motor Company in terms of crisis communications, but the the idea about having allies and advocates and responding quickly. We're talking now about the virtual world. And the virtual world is pretty doggone big. I mean, there's LinkedIn. I mean, there's Twitter. There's Instagram. There's Facebook. There's, wow, it's almost unlimited. Yes, it's vast. And yes, it's in some ways feels impersonal, but you know who some of those people are and can engage with them. And that's, that's I think, a real asset. You know, for example... You have a great story of an author who just released a book called The Daughters of Kobani about a women's fighting force in Syria, Gautzamak Laman. And she knew that when this book came out, because this group that she describes is considered a terrorist organization by the government of Turkey. Um, Hillary Clinton's in, a, in the book. Another, and her policies come, come to bear, right? Another right lightning rod for criticism. And she just... Right. When the book hit, she was going to have some problems. Before the book was released, she started reaching out to people who would be likely her critical adversaries, sending them an advanced copy saying, hey, no, you, you may not agree with this, but I just wanted you to take a look back. Ah. And she was hit with a disinformation attack. And she said, it, even though she was prepared, it hit her like a truck. But that network kicked in. And in particular, the people who were maybe very critical of her work because she had built that relationship with them, dove in to support her and really helped turn the tide. We also saw this play out during the election. Annenberg Centers for Communication Leadership and Policy launched a 50-state series of training sessions across the country to help local election officials prepare for really cybersecurity initiative, prepare for these attacks, but it was broader. It was really around cybersecurity. And one of the key messages and key bits of the training was make sure that you are building relationships between the press and election officials and key community leaders, not just the two weeks before the election, but in the entire campaign season. So that there's mm-hmm. a level of trust so that, excuse me, if it hits the fan, you know, you have a foundation of trust with these folks that you can engage with them immediately and engage them as allies in helping you fend off a disinformation attack or a cybersecurity attack. 
Wow. Well, that's great advice. I'm going to follow that myself. But I also want to make sure we get a chance to hear your perspective on some of the generational differences in terms of how these different generations uh, handle information. I'm a baby boomer. I'm the mother of a millennial son. He tells me your generation is so unsophisticated that you're so gullible. What have you observed in terms of maybe particularly this next generation of millennials and Gen Zs? Are they really more sophisticated in terms of how they handle all this misinformation and how they push out information? Look, they're content creators at their core in a way we, we other previous generations are not, right? The way they engage in, in media is by not just consuming, by, but by creating. And frankly, it's why when we design media literacy programs, it's about being right a conscious and critical consumer, but also an ethical creator. And just remembering mm-hmm. that about them, they are so fluid in crossing those barriers and boundaries between creating, communicating, and consuming that they kind of operate in this world in a much more fluid way. Are they always more sophisticated about spotting disinformation and misinformation? No, they are not. You know, we're beginning to understand more and more why people are susceptible to persuasion by misinformation and disinformation. Mm. And anything that's a little bit incendiary, right, is always going to be intriguing to people. And that's part of, that's part of the, that's what's fueled the growth of social media, for example. Mm -hmm. But I think our impulse towards, you know, critical thinking and investigation is often in, in the case of misinformation, disinformation, and conspiracy theories is what pushes us down the rabbit holes, right? We're looking for more. We're digging deeper. And I think as psychologists and experts in digital media literacy are starting to look at this phenomenon, they're beginning to understand that maybe we need to go back to the more simpler, just check these things against mainstream arguments mm-hmm. before you get too far down in the hole, down into places where you can't, you don't know who these sources are. You cannot easily verify the sources, cannot easily verify the stories, cannot easily verify the facts. So it's a laudable impulse, right? Dig deeper, right? How many times have we all been told that? Dig deeper. But in this instance, um, it it can lead lead people astray and lead well-educated people astray. There's one message. It is clearly that we all have a responsibility as educated consumers to be sophisticated about this. It's the world. And to share responsibly, right? Drive responsibly, drink responsibly. Let's share responsibly. And that's not, that's individuals, certainly. Think about what you're sharing. And, but it's also our teams, our PR teams, right? Our comms teams. Make sure that we have, you know, again, rigorous protocols in place to ensure that they're not sharing information that's less than pristinely accurate. Um, an important reminder to us as, as individuals, but to us as professional communicators. Well, I want to make sure that we get a chance to talk about your leadership journey because it has been absolutely fascinating. I mean, you began as a model. You moved into a career as a television news correspondent uh, and an anchor for multiple very prestigious networks. You moved into television sports. Uh, you've written a children's book and now the academic world. And so um, as you reflect on this, amazing journey that you had. Uh, What have you learned about yourself? And perhaps from that, 
knowledge, what would you share with younger women as they think about uh, their possibilities ahead? So what I've learned about myself is that I truly prefer working as part of a team. What I, that's just who I am. It's one of the reasons that I liked television news so much. You know, you are, you are very much part, whether you're writing and reporting on a story or anchoring in the studio, you're very much part of a team. And I loved that. And I have continued to build and lead teams and think that is critical to success. I have learned over time the value of and importance of listening, right? Soliciting the input of team members. And, and it goes without saying that these are diverse teams, right? Teams of diverse backgrounds, experiences, um, ways of thinking, ways of seeing the world. But I have learned over time to seek out, right, as much information as I can and use that as a, as a foundation to make a decision. And it has served, the times that I don't do that are the times when I uh, tend to get into trouble, not always for the decision, but, but often for how it's communicated. Because when it's communicated, it may not be communicated with the full perspective that I could have achieved and, and understood by uh, consulting with, with more folks. Really important for me as I transitioned into a completely different culture. I called it a trip to Mars when I went into the academic world. You know, it's a very, very different culture. And I had, to be, I, had to be a, I had to become a journalist, right? I had to become a community reporter when I entered that space and really to understand and listen and observe very carefully the, community, the new community around me. And as for what I would say to young women, you know, listen, in some ways, I feel like young women are giving me advice. You know, when I think about a generation that, you know, you and I came from where we didn't speak up, we didn't use our voices, we put our head down and we got the job done because that's what the world was telling us to do, right? You got these doors open for you and you just needed to prove that you could do the job at a, at, at a, at a high degree of excellence day in and day out. This generation is very clear clear that they are not going to stand for a lack of fairness. They are not going to stand for a lack of justice. They are not going to stand for the institutions where they work or where they study, not supporting those principles, right, of equity and inclusion and access. They're, they're very clear about it in a very matter-of-fact way. And I marvel at their clarity. And I marvel often at the way they use their voices. And I think we have to continue to, first of all, remind, remind them of how important it is to continue to do that throughout their life's journey. And I think we, in our, in our roles as adults and mentors and teachers and bosses and colleagues, um, have to do our darndest to um, make sure that we are supporting and propelling this generation on their way, because I think they are truly remarkable and our future's in their hands. And that's, of course, what we wanted to see, right? It wasn't just about us. Of course, we were ambitious, but it was always about reaching back and lift as you climb. Yep, exactly. That, that, great, that great expression of that old-fashioned thing called a career ladder, where you have one hand on the upper rung and one hand reaching down behind you to pull up your sister. Well, you are certainly all about that, and you also are a powerful example of one of my favorite models, which is when opportunity knocks, yes. open the door and let her in. <laughs> yes, exactly. That is, so, that is so true. Don't be afraid, right? Easy advice to pass along to today's students who are just looking for doors to be opened. 
it was an absolute pleasure to meet and get to know you just a little bit, Willow Bay. Thank you for being with us. My gosh, and to be in the hands of, of, a, of a skilled interviewer and somebody whose own <laughs> professional and personal journey has been so remarkable was really a privilege, so thank you. You are welcome, my pleasure. IWF Southern California member Willow Bay, journalist, author, educator, current Dean of the University of Southern California's Annenberg School of Communication and Journalism. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for joining us for this episode of Game Changers, our monthly conversation with trailblazing members of the International Women's Forum, a preeminent organization of 7,000 diverse women leaders from 33 nations and six continents. We hope you'll join us again as we talk about life in leadership. I'm Ann Doyle.